Hey everyone, you're listening to Spark, where we amplify the voices of the Middle East startup, tech, and innovation ecosystem. I'm your host, Shireen, and along with our guests, we share with you expert insights on the latest and most relevant news. Our goal is to help you easily digest trending topics and be better equipped to know what to make of it all. had a wonderful New Year's Eve and welcome to 2021. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's eagerly looking to see what the new year will bring our way, especially given the bizarre year the world has gone through in 2020, courtesy of COVID-19. Now, the truth is, there's nothing mystical about January. It's simply a new month. But I guess hope has been driving people for centuries, whether it was Europeans seeking new lands and riches when sailing towards the new world, or a modern-day needs-to-hit-the-gym person seeking motivation at the start of every week. That used to be me last year, by the way. So, I suppose there's nothing stopping most of the world from hoping for a fresh start from Corona in 2021. Now, looking back at 2020, certain industries were shaken up more than most, particularly retail, healthcare, and education. And then in came tech to the rescue, as people interacting within these industry parameters had to go digitally virtually overnight. But you know the story, accelerated industry growth and so on. What I in particularly want to put a spotlight on this week is the increased attention towards mental health. Now, the wellness industry had been seeing an upwards trend even before the pandemic, but it seems that the state of people's minds was of particular concern since March 2020. Everyone was tested mentally this year without an exception, and many turned to technology to help them attain a bit of mental health care. Now, globally, mental health tech deals totaled $1.6 billion in 2020, according to PitchBook. And yes, there are apps that have been sensations globally, such as Calm and Headspace. But many who would be tuning in from the Middle East may not necessarily respond to the calming voice of John Legend on Headspace if he don't know who he is. My mom, for example, certainly doesn't know him, just to name one. And so we have seen a couple of regional solutions come up towards the end of 2020, such as Mindhouse by one of Zomato's co-founders, who partnered exclusively with UAE-headquartered bank Emirates NBD as a direct-to-consumer distribution strategy. I've also heard of a few pop-ups in the space that offer their services in the Arabic language. Very smart since most people in the region don't really know what child's pose means without referencing a visual cue. Now, on that note, I hope you enjoyed today's episode that covers the topic of the human side of entrepreneurship. Despite what the media depicts, entrepreneurs are not robots. Many may be able to function on very little sleep and limited social interaction, but the fact of the matter is we are all still humans who face the risk of burnout if we live the entrepreneurial dream without any pit stop breaks along the way. And on the show today, we have the lovely Erija Sheker to discuss this topic with us. Erich has spent more than a decade working closely with entrepreneurs and listening to them talk about their business ideas and how they plan to fund their ventures. Erich has experience in providing both debt and equity financing with entrepreneurs and is currently a director and fund manager at Tel Venture Capital Fund of Funds based out of Bahrain. Now, before we jump into the episode, a quick update on what I've been up to. Last week, I checked out the virtual reality game arena by Arena Games out here in Dubai based out of the DIFC. For about 30 minutes, I battled my virtual life with my team. Armed, again virtually, with weapons of mass destruction, we were actually able to save the planet from the apocalypse. Our little outing contributed to a piece of the now $4.5 billion gaming industry in the MENA region. Frost & Sullivan estimates there to be over 100 million gamers in the region and counting. 
To learn more about the gaming industry, check out a previous episode we released earlier this year that takes a deep dive into the topic. Or better still, join the Bahrain Game Jam taking place this week where you can hear me moderate a panel discussion on the gaming ecosystem and developments out in Bahrain. Visit BahrainGameJam.com, all one word, to register for the panel and find out more. Now, without further delay, let's jump to today's episode. Good morning, Arij. How are you? I'm good. And yourself? Good. Um, it's nice to speak to someone who is a Bahraini leading the Bahrain ecosystem. For the listeners who don't know, I'm from Bahrain, so it's quite nice to have the first female Bahrain guest as well, Arij. Thanks a ton. Thank you so much, Shireen. It's good to, to finally have this conversation. I think it's been like, what, almost uh, nine years since we first met, I think, or 10 years even. I think so, yeah. So Arij and I, the, the way we met is I actually, many, many years ago, wanted to launch a business in Bahrain. And I approached the Bahrain Development Bank who give loans to founders and SMEs. And lo and behold, the person I spoke to was Arij. And that's how we, we had met. And it turns out that, you know, we have friends who are family and, you know, as everyone does in Bahrain. Exactly. So, <laughs> so it was very nice that, you know, many, many years later we can connect. So Arij, with that, I'd love it if you could tell the listeners a little bit about the role that you play in the Bahrain startup ecosystem, as well as how that role has changed and evolved over the last 10 or so years. Um, I mean, I think, you know, it's it's a great uh, point that to realize that you actually came to the bank, um, you know, 10 years ago to start your, um, your business and perhaps how kind of complicated it probably would be for someone at your age to get a loan and and all of the different kind of stipulations that that go along with that. It's just not easy for someone um, that doesn't really have a credit background to be able to kind of take an SME loan out, especially when you're in your early 20s. That kind of inspired me um, as I started to work within the bank to see how entrepreneurship was very much a part of the mindset or the growing mindset um, within Bahrain and across the region, but then how the institutions were not ready to help facilitate and support them. Having never been to, to Silicon Valley or to any of these kind of bustling, um, uh, I guess, you know, uh, startup ecosystems, I kind of just focused on what Bahrain required and what a lot of these entrepreneurs were missing. And a lot of it was kind of just someone to speak to, to kind of run through their idea and to ultimately kind of coach them through. And of course, formally, um, as we see it as coaching and mentorship. And then how do we actually provide them support financially without having them to get like a guarantor or their father or their mother or, you know, a relative to kind of back them up or to guarantee the loan that they're going to take out. Um, So I spent two years into the bank then focusing on how I can develop a program to help support this. And so with with the support of, you know, some of the leadership within the bank, I was able to launch um, or help support the launch of a a coaching and mentorship program, what we call the reward program to help support entrepreneurs. And that involved into a very early stage funding program. Uh, meanwhile, working with the ecosystem to kind of build that awareness on how to angel invest and how to become an angel investor. You know, fast forward to 2020, I now lead uh, the fund management of a venture fund of funds. Like with any ecosystem, as you start to help support startups and then they start to flourish, what they re- require is access to capital. And so a lot of my focus is on how to connect people to people that can actually help them walk through things. Um, because I think we, you know, we, we do have that kind of culture where you speak to family members and 
get their guidance or advice, but how many of, you know, how many of the ecosystem or people around us have actually started their business or started their business in certain tech industries. And that's why a lot of the work that I do is to try to bridge um, that gap in ensuring that a, a founder that is setting up in Bahrain is able to speak to a founder in the States or anywhere else in the region that has done this before, or even an investor that has invested in a similar business to help them kind of take it to the next level. How do you build your network? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I think, you know, everybody talks about how to build your network and they're like, oh, Eid, you know, how did you build your network? And when you think about network building, it's all about, you know, actually putting yourself out there. I think conference, attending conferences that are relevant is important. I think also just socializing with people that are within your space, sometimes even like hosting like a little dinner and inviting different founders if you're like trying to connect with founders or, you know, different types of people within that space, I think are very important. But I think our region makes it really easy because there's a lot of these kind of like, I would say, community events or regional events. And that's great. And, and you start to see the same faces. And so when you start to go, then you start to see them and then you start to build that network. But it's always important to have that connection. At the end of the day, we're all human beings. And I think we, we tend to forget that. We get so bogged up into these checklists of like, how do I build my network? Oh, I need to have my business cards ready. Oh, I need to, you know, but why we forget that we're just me and you. And like you said, we have interconnected families. Uh, we all like dining in and dining out and have similar backgrounds. And then there's that human factor um, that we forget about when we talk about technology and entrepreneurship, because we get so immersed in like tech and how do we invest in tech that we forget it's actually like human beings behind all of these kind of businesses. Hmm. In your role managing a fund of funds, as well as through BDB mentoring and coaching startups, Where do these founders come from? Are they predominantly Bahraini or do you also look at international talent and investing in them? So I think it's a mix of both. You know, we, we do have Bahraini talent. Um, and then there's also talent that we don't have as much of, you know, in terms of engineering talent that is starting to come up much more with the new younger generation, but there's a, there's a mix. So you, you see founders that come together like a Bahraini founder with an Indian tech founder or someone um, from the you know, wider region or from the Levant, Levantine areas. And so there's like, you know, there is, a, there is a mix and match of that. And I think that's the beauty of the startup world is that it kind of brings this, the intermix of not only skill sets, but also backgrounds. And I think that's where the unique, uniqueness comes from. Um, we do obviously, um, especially in our role within the bank, provide our services to businesses that are set up in Bahrain. So it doesn't matter where you're from, but our services extend to people that are based in Bahrain. And have you ever been inspired to go open your own business? Have just having worked with so many founders over so many years? Um, so I always get that question. And, you know, sometimes I wonder, you know, what, what would I actually open? And I think what I've discovered is that I'm, I really like setting up things. So I would always be part of the founding team, I think. And I would be a very good early founder. And then I'd probably exit out once we hire like a CEO. So it's funny you say that. I like to think of myself as the same. So even though I do have corporate jobs, the corporate jobs I take are ones that are very, very entrepreneurial. The teams are really small. The ventures are new. And we're just setting up the policies, procedures, infrastructure, and whatnot. But at each, I find letting go hard. So we hired a marketing manager 
after about a year ago and I had to hand over all the marketing activities to her, which I mean, cut my work in half. I was working the job of two people. And even though it would have provided me relief, it took a while to, even though she's a fantastic and talented girl, to, to trust and let go. So how do founders let go? How do they delegate and kind of move on, whether it's leaving the company completely or still staying there? I mean, I think that's that's an interesting point. I, I think it's easier said than done. And I think it's like obviously human nature for us to be to hold on to something that you've kind of built from the ground up or you've been working on for so long. But I think there needs to be it's kind of like you need to train yourself to realize that there is a point where you need to kind of let go to allow this to flourish more or to allow yourself you know, some headspace to be able to focus on what you're primarily doing, because there will be a point where something, you know, something's got to give, like, you know, if you're going to be doing two things, there will be a point where you're going to drop the ball somewhere or some at some point, And that's when it's going to be a bit too late. Somebody told me that the brain functions better when they kind of see that there is a, a, an end that you're reaching or a, a point. And so even if that might change, if you put that there, then you will be able to kind of function better. But I think where startups succeed is the ability to kind of delegate and to build that talent. So what about letting go for the worse? Let's say it's not, it's not a matter of delegating because your company is growing, but rather you need to end activities because the product's not working or the business as a whole is not generating revenue. And you need to cut the cords. Yeah. I have worked with founders that have, you know, that have gone through that. And I think, I think it's difficult. It's, um, any kind of loss that you have to deal with as a human being is, or change, dramatic change for the worse, is something very difficult, I think. And nobody actually talks to you about it. And that's where me and, and kind of like a, um, a fellow VC investor in the region, we were talking about how nobody kind of talks about the mental wellness of founders and companies and what they have to go through. Because, you know, having to wind down a company is, is a loss. It's a loss that you have to go through. You need to kind of first, you know, at the beginning, you might be in denial and then you have to have that acceptance because a loss isn't just you closing up the company. It might mean you having to fire people. It might mean you having to kind of destroy other people's kind of families because they've come to work with you guys. And then now all of a sudden the company is not operational. So there's, there's also livelihoods in, into play. And so it's not just about the founder or the CEO or whoever is at the, at the helm of the company, but there's a lot of things to think about. Do you find that there are some founders who are more willing to accept this than others? And if there are, what, what traits, what about them make it, make them be okay with the fact of the matter? Um, I think that's, um, yeah, there are founders that either they've gone through this before so it's, you've done it, you've understood it, you know how it feels and you know how to process it. And so, you know, it's like anything, if, if you've ever experienced it for the first time, you sometimes don't know how to deal with it. Um, and so that's why I think it's always important to have that connection. Speak to founders that have done this before, speak to founders that have failed before, speak to founders that have had to wind up a company or have to have had to let go because they weren't performing as CEOs anymore. They were pulling the company down. They needed to hire somebody else. And so those are, I would say, more mature founders, you know, and because, you know, they their experience has actually built them to be able to, to do this better. The, the hu human nature, you always do better when you have experience, right? That's why when you, mm. when you apply for a job, most, you know, employers want people with experience because they just don't want to have to take you through that, you know, um, baby steps you know, and falling exactly. down. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You need to have patience, right? To, to, to train yeah. somebody out. 
So I personally find that Arabs and to some extent Asians in general are very particular about saving face. And I see people, whether it's personally or professionally, stick things out just because they're too embarrassed to say it didn't work out, whether it's a marriage or a business. Have you worked with any non-Asian founders and have seen there to be this change? I think we don't like to have difficult conversations or uncomfortable conversations. So it's uncomfortable to sit and say, oh yes, my business failed, you know, but it's all great to say, oh, everything's fine. And, you know, everything's doing well. So I think our culture doesn't allow us to kind of talk about things that are just not pretty, I guess. And I think you'll see that in other cultures, it's more accepted to kind of speak about the uncomfortable. And I think if we work on the ability and to be able to have these kind of conversations and these discussions, then it'll be a lot easier for people to kind of own up to their situations Mm. because it's not uncomfortable to talk about it. So a lot of what we're discussing actually resonates with me. And perhaps I can share with both you and the audience what I've done in the last 10 years since since I tried to launch a venture in Bahrain. There was one particular venture that I really actively pursued here in Dubai. And by actively pursued, I meant got it registered, put money in it, invested in it, and so on and so forth. It was a venture I tried to do with my brother. It didn't work out. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, but we we have all the right ingredients. We have two co-founders with an international education. One of them's a consultant. You know, all these check boxes that kind of paint the picture of the typical founder you see in the Middle East. And it didn't work for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I didn't understand the concept of pricing margins. And I also thought everyone would deliver everything in time. We ended up basically losing a lot of capsule that we put in. But by the end of it, I remember thinking, okay, why doesn't anyone talk about these things? I'm sure other people have failed because of these reasons. But every time I go to an entrepreneurship conference or event, they only talk about the celebrated ones, the ones who are doing well, um, the ones who have progressed and therefore issues were not raised to me. Do you guys kind of talk about failures and learnings from failures when you do your coaching and mentoring so that founders are aware of these issues? Yeah, definitely. I think this is something that we push very much, especially as we invest in these venture funds. These venture funds host different workshops and group mentoring sessions or one-on-one coaching sessions. And we encourage, we encourage the, the don'ts or what, it, what went wrong. And so we had an interesting workshop, I think a year ago, where this venture fund manager spoke about all of the failed companies in their portfolio rather than like what's made them kind of succeed and the reasons why. And it was interesting. I remember in that workshop how some of the people reacted. It was pretty bold, right? It's an uncomfortable conversation because they're talking about their fund and the, the, the companies they invested in that didn't do well and why. And some of it was because like we actually let the founder fool us for example. Um, the founder kept showcasing b- poor numbers, but it takes, it takes a, a bold person to be able to admit that it was their fault. And then there were certain individuals in the room that would be like, oh, this is a bad fund. We shouldn't, you, know, you shouldn't have invested in it and blah, blah, blah. Rather than acknowledging that this is actually a strength because when somebody is, you know, nobody's going to win all the time. But if someone's able to be aware of their weaknesses and work on them, then that's actually a strength. Do you ever have founders come and pitch to you proudly stating any failed ventures they would have run? Yeah, 
Yeah. So, okay, so good. yeah, 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 we do. And then sometimes you feel like it's overdone. Like guys, no, it's not like you don't need to have like a failed venture to start because some people will just like make up something just to like kind of get it over the line. Obviously it's helpful, but it's not about like, Oh, I had a startup that failed. I always ask them, okay, so what did you, what did you come out of that experience? Like what was your learning? Because if you have a failed situation that you never learned from, then it's as good as not having it. You know, sometimes you see some fund managers as part of their added value for their portfolio of companies is they instill like coaching programs that they offer um, to their to their startup founders, which I think is very mm. important because back to my point earlier was that we forget the human element. We're human beings. People will burn out. People will start to feel like demoralized if they, you know, their first MVP or, you know, first version didn't like kind of come out. You need to be able to have that culture and that human aspect of development that is instilled in these companies to help them ride the years. Because I sometimes feel that it's not only lack of access to funding that kills these startups in the early years, but it's the lack of the building of a culture within the organization where people understand their roles and know how to define and, and know how to succeed. So if you were to begin a coaching session with a founder focusing on the human element, what type of personal questions do you ask them to kind of set that baseline of where they're at emotionally, mentally, and in all aspects other than work? I would say what people initially think as small talk, but just kind of ask them how they're feeling or how they're doing what have they been up to and kind of just set the tone and kind of just bring, you know, bring about if they want to discuss anything that can help them, you know, how, how is their emotional feeling towards their startup? And, and a lot of these things kind of happen naturally. At each final thought, what would be in it for the mentor? So if I'm a founder and I go to an event and someone resonates with me and I muster up the courage and I go up to him or her and say, please be my mentor, what can I offer in exchange for their time? There are programs where mentors are actually compensated for their time. But I've found that a lot of people who want to be able to mentor people do it because they want to give back. And, you know, this is something that they want to do because they've been successful or they've built up a, a level of knowledge. There's a, there's a certain mindset towards being a mentor. Um, but don't be shy to say that, you know, I'm happy to find, you know, something that is valuable to you. Um, let me know. And then, you know, look at what you can offer. Is it, you know, an advisory seat or, you know, a board seat or, you know, something that you think is something that you want to be able to offer. And that can also be a way to, to get people on board because then not only are they within your kind of company structure, but you'll also be able to, to have them as a mentor alongside that. Great. Well, I hope that we've given people some practical advice on how to go find great guidance. Great. <laughs> Ed, Edith, thank you so much for your time. Okay, great. <laughs> Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe to future episodes on your podcast listening platform of choice. And whilst you're there, leave a review and rate our show so that other aspiring innovators can find it. To find a summary of our discussion today and links to our guests, access our show notes by visiting our website, sparkwithshireen.com. If you don't want to miss out on future announcements, subscribe to our newsletter or follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at sparkwithshireen. Before you go, I'd like to let you know that we love hearing from our listeners. If you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, including guest or topic recommendations, drop us a message through our website or social platforms. If you didn't have a pen or paper handy to write all this down, don't worry. We've gone ahead and added all these links in the episode description. All you have to do is scroll down and click when you have a moment. 
As always, thank you for listening and see you next time.